Hey, good morning again. Did you know you might be on the front end of a new tradition here at Emmanuel? From day one as a church, uh, we made a commitment to not just focus on the sections of the Bible that many people already know and love, but to also go to the deep cuts and explore those. If you're not familiar with that term, I invite you to write this down. Deep cuts are tracks from an album that casual fans overlook. We've been exploring biblical deep cuts from the start as a church, but we didn't start using that language until 2019. And as the teaching team was talking about this new teaching series that begins today, we started thinking, you know, what if we just straight up named at least one series a year, our deep cut series, and went after it? Pick a book of the Bible, pick a section of the Bible that isn't talked about a lot and really dive in and do that on an annual basis, straight up have a Deep Cuts series. So this could be a new tradition, not that we're doing Deep Cuts for the first time, but that we're having a Deep Cuts series that's set aside as this. So welcome. The book that we've chosen for this Deep Cuts series is a book of the Bible called the Book of Judges. The Book of Judges. The Book of Judges is where we find Sunday school staples like the stories of Gideon and Samson, which for the record are important stories. They are stories that we've looked at before. They're stories we'll come back to again. But in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on sections of Judges that aren't often as looked at or visited as often. All right, well, before we get started, let's have a brief conversation about why Judges and why now. The short answer to that is I can't think of a better book of the Bible that describes what's been happening these last two years. Do you remember the direction that we were headed in 2019? Our nation was becoming more and more divided than any other time that any of us can remember. We were experiencing record levels of debt and depression and anxiety and addiction, and things seemed to be getting worse instead of better. Then came COVID and something happened. In the midst of the fear, in the midst of the loss, do you remember that short season right after the lockdown started? Lockdown started, I'm talking those first couple weeks. Every company that had an advertising budget was using the word together. Remember that, we're in this together. People were forced to slow down. And that spring when it got nice outside, I have never seen more people in my neighborhood out and walking, dads playing with their kids during the day. People rediscovered how good a home-cooked meal could taste, how good it felt to gather around the same table. People, do you remember this? They were sharing recipes like crazy. Social media posts, people were getting more honest. They were getting more real. Instead of making sure everything was picture perfect, you started to see people without their makeup. You started to see people in their homes as the homes normally looked. And when screens became the only way that we could connect, man, it became really, really clear, really fast, that virtual is a distant second to in-person. Well, again, those things, those times, those, those weeks, those months, they were really, really hard. And for so many people, at least early on, there was a sense that this was also a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call of how life can change in an instant, and it was a wake-up call about how far we've drifted from what really matters most. 
And one of the things that we saw during those, those early weeks, those early months, people were reaching out for God. I haven't seen that level of reaching out since 9-11. Bibles sold out in several stores. Online searches for prayer. Did you know this? They spiked around the world. And people who hadn't been attending church in years, they began attending online services. But what happened? What happened? What happened when treatments became more effective? What happened when vaccines began to offer hope? What happened when the restrictions began to lift? What happened when things felt like they were getting back to normal? What happened to the slowing down? What happened to the coming together? What happened to the seeking God? Most people, look around, just look around. Most people are returning to the same behaviors that were taking them down a path they didn't want to be on back in 2019. The same behaviors that were tearing us apart, the same behaviors that were stressing us out, the same behaviors that were leading us further and further away from the life that God invites us into. All right. Well, if you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Those who don't learn from mistakes will repeat them over and over and over again. Maybe some of you have been watching that Loki uh, series. Been watching that, Sam? That Loki series on uh, on Disney Plus. There was a scene in in one of the episodes where this character Loki he's sentenced and he's sentenced to repeating this same moment, the same really bad moment over and over. You know the scene I'm talking, right? And it was he, he hated it. He he couldn't get out of it. He was trapped in this bad, painful moment. Here, here's the thing. We do that to ourselves, don't we? We find ourselves repeating these same moments that we hate, that we are painful, that we, we say we'll never do again. So why judges why now? I'll tell you why. Because we repeat the same patterns of behavior over and over and over again that they were repeating in those days. Let me show you what I mean. If you look at the book of Judges and you study the book of Judges, instead of just looking at those familiar stories, if you go back and look at it as a big theme, here's what you see. You see a same theme, a cycle repeated over and over again where there's disobedience. The people disobey God's ways. And what happens? There are consequences for that. And as the people began to suffer these consequences, in their case, what God had said would happen, they would be invaded by these enemies. Then what happens? As they are experiencing that oppression, they cry out. They cry out to God. And God, as he promised, um, delivers them. He sends a judge. We'll talk about a judge in a little bit. He sends this rescuer. He sends help. But then what do people do when things start to get better, when they no longer feel the pain? What happens? They go back to disobedience. And the cycle repeats over and over and over again. This is the outline for the book of Judges. Except it's not just one cycle. It's over and over and over again. Just like we see happening in our time as well. All right. Well, we're going to cover as many deep cuts as we can in the time that we have. But what I want to invite you to do... Read the whole thing. Read the book of Judges during this series. And if you want to get even better perspective than you'll just have on your own um, by reading the book of Judges, start in Joshua 24, the book that comes before it. 
and then go all the way through the end of Ruth. This is very doable. This is less than one chapter of Judges or, or um, Joshua, Ruth uh, per day. You do less than one chapter a day over the course of the series, you'll get there. And at the bottom of your notes, if you download to the notes page today, you're going to find there's some resources we recommend. Uh, there, there's the ESV Study Bible. It's easier to find one that, that looks like this. The NLT Study Bible, it, it, there's, you can find a, one of those. And then the Bible, IVP Bible Background Commentary, which no longer looks like this. I got an older copy. We invite you to get those because what they can give to you is as you're reading through, you're going to come across some really challenging stuff. And what these can do is offer some context perspective like we do here on Sunday mornings. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get started. If you got your Bible with you, what we're going to look at today, the section we're going to look at today, is one that addresses this cycle. Uh, it's Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. If you don't have a Bible at home, order one of the ones I just recommended. They are fantastic resources. All right. Well, there's a lot happening in this short section, a whole lot. It functions as a second introduction that builds on chapter one, and it provides a summary of this cycle that we're going to see repeated over and over and over again to the rest of the book. So here we go. Judges chapter two, verses six through seven. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. All right, let's talk about this. The book of Judges picks up where the book of Joshua leaves off. And reading chapter 24 of Joshua will give you a feel for this incredible leader, along with the final words and warnings that he gave to his people. Joshua was trained up under Moses himself. And the transition from, Josh, from Moses to Joshua is one of the only great transitions you're gonna, of leadership you're going to find in the entire Old Testament. This passing of the torch is one of the only good examples you're going to find. Joshua, when he got that torch, he lived a life of integrity and faithfulness. He provided a consistent um, type of courageous leadership. Chapter 24 is where we find Joshua's often quoted challenge to the children of Israel. He says, you've got a choice to make. You can serve those gods that didn't serve you well when you were slaves in Egypt, or you can serve the God who rescued you. But choose this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. While Joshua and the elders that served under him were alive, the people were about as faithful as flawed people can be. But when Joshua's influence faded, here's what happened. Let's jump ahead to Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers, meaning Joshua and those elders. And there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. All right, as I was reading this, the irony wasn't lost on me that tonight we've got that blameless project meeting because it is so easy to blame who is responsible for what we just read, that the, the torch was not passed. Who's to blame? Did a generation fail to pass the torch along or did a generation fail to receive it? Blame is not usually either or, is it? Well, the other day I was reading an article 
about how the torch between your generation, my generation, and the generations coming after us, how that torch is not being passed. In fact, this author used the term, it is a generational catastrophe. A generational catastrophe. Real, authentic faith isn't being modeled, isn't being taught in most of our homes. It's not being passed on. It's not being modeled and taught in most of our churches. It's not being handed on. Okay, so when you think about it not being passed on and you think about what the loudest voices right now are saying about God, about Christianity, it's no wonder that we're seeing what we're seeing. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 11 through 12. Uh, I'll pick up where, right where we left off. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, plural, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their father, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. I think I added an extra. No, that was right. Through verse 12. All right, well, these two verses, they took on new meaning. 11 and 12 here, as I dug deeper. Let's start with the word Baals, plural. It's plural. That's significant. Baal, singular, was thought to be the most powerful of all the gods of the Canaanites. His name means Lord or Master. He was believed to be the god of weather and storms. He was so powerful that he could engage the god of death. In ancient art, he's pictured as a bull or a warrior clutching lightning like a weapon. The reason the plural form of Baal is used here is that different areas had different beliefs about who Baal was and what he was like. In theory, there's just one Baal, but in reality, there were all kinds of different versions of him floating around out there. And there were plenty of other gods too. In fact, Baal was one of just 70 kids of a daddy god named El, which is really different than Jesus and his father, right? The only son of God the Father. So there were gods of love and music and war. And this is interesting. Each of the Canaanite gods had their own areas or own dominions. You weren't cheating on one god if you were focusing on an area or, or, or serving another god who had a different aspect that they were the god of. None of the Canaanite, Canaanite gods demanded lordship over every single aspect of life. Think about how that, different that is from the God of the Bible. As I was studying these verses, I couldn't help but see connections between their day and our day. Isn't it true, just as people in those days created different versions of Baal, isn't there a whole lot of DIY Jesus going on in our day? No wonder people are confused. There seem to be as many versions of Jesus that are being presented as in our day as there were Baals in their day, maybe more. And see if this sounds familiar too. In those days, in the days of Judges, the Israelites, they were drawn to the way of the Canaanites. The Canaanites had a very different culture than the culture that God was establishing. They were drawn to the Canaanite understandings of wealth and sophistication, Canaanite art and literature and entertainment, Canaanite political and business practices, and the Canaanite religious system. In it, sex didn't have the same kind of boundaries and guardrails around it in the Canaanite 
religious practice that it did when it came to the things that the Jewish faith had. And that was a big draw for a whole lot of people. Are Christians today ever tempted to compromise with culture today as they did back then? Well, unlike the Canaanites, who were able to compartmentalize their gods and their idols, the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of Joshua, he revealed himself as the one true God who was God over all. You couldn't serve him and any other gods. He was above all others and over all of life, not just part of it. The author of Judges says that when we treat the God of the Bible, we just read this, like any other God, does anyone remember what it says? We provoke him. We provoke him. And there are consequences for that. Verse 15 says, whenever then the people marched out against these other enemies that, that God sent, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned, as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. As a former skeptic, one of the things that I find hard to ignore right here is how much evidence there is to support this actually happening in history. Did you know archaeology supports what the Bible describes happening in that place at that time? At the end of the late Bronze Age, at the beginning of the early Iron Age, there is evidence that people were fleeing from the cities they were fleeing from the cities in Israel and society was collapsing. Something was causing people to hide in the hills and in the outlying areas. So much so that many archaeologists, they refer to that area during those years, about 1000 BC to about 20, 1200 BC. They call it a dark age in the area, in that area that we now call Israel. It's almost as if there were invading enemies that were coming in and they couldn't withstand them and they were fleeing. Let's continue, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. All right, this is where we get the name of the book Judges from. Judges weren't the kind of judges that we think of in a courtroom. They were temporary saviors who God raised up to rescue his people when they sincerely cried out. Verse 17. Yet they didn't listen to the judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. There's a reason why um, this series is not the series we did outdoors when we had the kids with us. That language that we just read, it's the language of adultery. It is arguably the most vivid language and image that someone can use for betrayal. Throughout scripture, God uses the language of a marriage covenant to describe his commitment to the, his people. He says, I am the bridegroom, you are my bride. He chose his people. He was faithful to his people. He loved his people. He rescued his people. He provided for his people. He protected his people. And what did they do? They hoard after other gods. That's the language God uses. I believe it's worth noting in Hebrew that there's a language shift that happens just a few verses after this. God goes from referring to these as my people to 
this nation. It's, it's as if someone is shifting from my husband, my wife, to my ex. All right, let's go back to that, this section one more time. I want to show you something about this cycle, something that we're going to see play out in the weeks ahead. Verses 18 through 19. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hands of the enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved by pity by their groaning because those who were afflicted oppressed them. But when the judge died, they turned back, and look at what it says here. They were more corrupt than their fathers going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. They did not drop any of the practices or their stubborn ways. All right, let's go back to this chart that we just did. All right, what did it say that happened? When, when they reached this part of crying out and consequences, God's in self, what is it? They repeated the cycle. And not only did they repeat the cycle, what does the word say? It says it got worse. They, they, it was as if they were spiraling down. It got worse and worse and worse over time. Each cycle taking them deeper and deeper and deeper into despair and dis dysfunction. Um, again, this is one of the reasons why Camp ECC is going on during this series because we don't want to have the kids in here for some of this. It is some of the darkest, most graphic um, insights into humanity that, that, that you're going to see. There's graphic violence, there's sexual abuse, there's child sacrifice. People are burned alive, eyes are gouged out, and a body is dismembered, and the parts are sent out across the land. After all of that, did people learn their lesson? Let's flip to the very end. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what is right in their own eyes. That's how Judges ends. Consider how tragic that is. To have a God, unlike any other God, who has demonstrated his love and his faithfulness like no other God, and to continue to reject him over and over and over again. When we fall into this cycle, it is hard to break free. And I think all of us, if we took even just a minute, we can understand that experience. We've experienced something like that before ourselves. You may want to write this down. If you find yourself repeating past mistakes, you know what? You're not alone. You're not alone. We see it in scripture. We see it in our own lives. And I want to invite you to write fast because I got good news for you. There is hope. The story isn't over. Your failures do not have to define you. You don't have to be in the same place a year from now. Those prison doors that you think are trapping you inside, they're locked from the inside. I want to invite you to write this down too. The spirit that came on the judges has been poured out in a new way. As you read the book of Judges, you're going to see that in those days, the spirit of the Lord was poured out upon the judges, giving those specific servants of the Lord what they needed in that moment to do what they wanted to do. On a day called Pentecost, the Spirit of, Lord was, of the Lord was not just poured out on a few select individuals for a certain time. The Spirit was poured out on the church. The Spirit was poured out in, on men and women, giving us hearts and minds that are more aligned with Christ, filling us with joy and peace and faithfulness and self-control like we've never had before. So imagine if more of us 
we're filled with more of the Spirit of God. Imagine if instead of being trapped here over and over and over again in this downward spiral, imagine if our life looked more like this as we as a people of God. Imagine if we were heading towards a different kind of king. The king of kings who, who, who invited us to have our whole life under. What if his spirit was being poured upon us? And what if when we fell, because we fell, what if those cycles weren't as big and weren't as long? And what if there was a little more distance between them? And maybe this cycle was a little bit bigger, but we kept focusing. And as a people, yeah, we were, we were falling and we were getting these cycles. But what if we were moving more and more over time towards God? Imagine that. We're human. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble along the way. But what if we fail faster? What if there's a longer and longer time in between our, our failures? And what if we can learn from our mistakes and get stronger along the way? What if our weakness becomes a canvas for his strength? Well, this is what I want you to do. I want to invite you to do here as we come to the, the end of this message. I want to invite you to reach out with both hands, with both hands. There are times when you reach out to God. Think of one hand reaching out to God. There are times, I've seen it, there are times where he'll break an addiction like this, but it's really rare. There's times instead he sends us what we need. He can change our heart and minds, but also that's what I invite you to reach out with the other hand because his spirit is poured upon us. One of the images that we also have in the Bible is this image of family. Jesus used it himself. So reach out for your father, but also reach out to your brothers and sisters who can encourage you and support you and cheer you on as you try to break free from these cycles you're in. You don't have to face this alone. And I want to pray for you right now before we seal this time with a song as you reach out with both hands. Can we do that? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this hard, hard book of the Bible, this book of Judges, and this reminder that we are not alone in our struggles. Holy Spirit, we pray that instead of just being trapped, that your Holy Spirit would come right now. I pray for my brothers and sisters on the other side of this camera, that they would reach out to you and that your Spirit would fill them, changing their hearts and minds, giving them a greater desire and strength to overcome what's before them. Father, we pray for your spirit also to bring to mind what the things are, where the areas are, where they're repeating those mistakes. We pray, Father, that, that you would help them to, to now also see the, the, the opportunities around them, the people that they could reach out to for help, for encouragement, for support, for coaching. So Holy Spirit, give us the courage and humility to reach out. And Lord, we also pray you'd give us eyes how we could help others who are reaching out as well. Lord, may the world see in us a community that's not just caught up in these downward spirals that are taking us further and further away from the life you invite us into, but help us to be a people who are being changed and transformed over time. This we pray in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.